Hello you, and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Duel. We're talking about it with the great Candace Opper. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my marvelous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Duel is a 1971 American action thriller television film directed by Steven Spielberg. It centers on a business commuter played by Dennis Weaver driving his car through California to meet a client. However, he finds himself chased and terrorized by the mostly unseen driver of a semi-truck. The screenplay is by Richard Matheson. It adapts his own short story of the same name. Candace Jane Opper is a writer, a mother, and a visual artist whose work explores the intersection of personal and cultural histories. Candace, I believe, has been on the show uh, more than any other guest. She was one of our very, very first guests back when we talked about Dirty Dancing. I think that was our second episode, maybe our third. She's the author of a book called Certain and Impossible Events, which we love, and uh, I think you'll love it too. How is it going, friends? How are you doing? Uh, let us know on Twitter. Let us know on Instagram. We're on Blue Sky now at You Are Good. Uh, who knows where we'll be next? And don't you forget that you, my friend, are good. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with and by your support. Thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon.com or Apple podcast subscriptions. I think the, I think the number is something like only three to 4% of people who listen to a show actively uh, support it financially in any way. We understand that not everyone can, but it makes us really grateful to the folks who are able to do so because it helps us pay our bills. It helps us pay the people who make the show. It helps make art in one way or another our living. And we really appreciate that. And of course, I'm sure you've noticed we have ads here and there, but we're extremely discerning to the point where we rarely have ads. <laughs> so your support really makes this whole thing possible and makes it so that these shows aren't, you know, riddled with advertisements so that the vibe is good. It's because of your support. And those who support us get bonus episodes. We just had one come out on Hannibal page to screen. We have another one coming out soon on And Just Like That that'll feature our great friend Eve Lindley. And then we have another on Sex in the City season three. It's We're just rich in bonus content dedicated to Hannibal Lecter or Carrie Bradshaw. That's where our brains are at. But thank you to everyone who supports us and makes this whole thing possible. We are grateful for you. Whether or not you're able to support the show via Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions, please leave a review. Text someone and let them know that they would love this show too. Uh, word of mouth is important for us and we uh, we appreciate everything you can do to let people know that You Are Good is a show that uh, makes your heart happy. All right, let's get into our Plymouth Valiant sedan and outrun this tanker. Time to talk duel. Toot toot, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> toot toot, beep beep, Alex Steed. He works hard for the money. So hard for it, honey. He's murdering Dennis Weaver and you better treat him right. Oh my God. Have you have you seen any TV movies that did so well that they added 12 minutes of footage and released it in the theaters, Sarah? Have you seen any of those lately? Have you, Alex, have you seen, I love that we're doing this now. Have you seen the movie... <laughs> That like 23 year old looking like an 11 year old Steven Spielberg was offered the chance to make and probably maybe said, what are my resources here? And they're like, oh, like nothing. You got nothing. You got Dennis <laughs> Weaver in a car. That's it. And he was like, yes. <laughs> this is a real lesson in even if you think the task that you're handed is a garbage task, deliver real hard on it and it might launch a successful 55 year career. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Why are we covering this, Sarah? And what are we covering? We are covering Steven Spielberg's Duel, which is a 1971 TV movie, which I realized watching today for the third time in my life, I am a huge fan of. I am whatever they call dual fans, <laughs> dual heads, a dual, <laughs> a dual pigeon. It's like not quite a doula, not quite a doula. Yes, a doula. I'm a doula. Yes, you are a doula. And then with us today, of course, 
is Candace Opper, our summer girl. I love that I'm a summer girl. That's great. Our first guest on the show. This is a, a seventh appearance, second Spielberg movie. That's right. So we're joined by Candace Opper. Candace, what is your relationship with being a doula? Oh, well, I have a couple of connections with, with Duel, and one of them is Sarah. Mm. Sarah, was this the first time you watched it, the first time we watched it together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we had, like, kind of a movie club situation, and we would, like, watch cinema. <laughs> cinema. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had seen it previously, and I regret that I don't remember when, but I'm guessing it was from an era of my young adulthood where I had a friend that worked at a video store and pretty much every night he would just take movies home from the video store and we would watch them. So I think that was probably the first time I watched it. And then Sarah and I watched it together, which was the more iconic time because a joke came out of it that has somehow survived for the last, you know, like 10, 10 years, some yeah. odd years <laughs> that has become just like a long standing inside joke in our friendship. And it's like, you know, the number of inside jokes that come out of a close friendship, there's really only a small percentage that really stand the test of time. And this dual joke <laughs> is one of them. And, and we'll address it later. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then um, when Sarah was just visiting Pittsburgh recently, when you guys were on tour with uh, mm. You're Wrong About... Duel was playing at a second-run movie theater, so she and I went to go see it again at a movie theater, which was great, and then, yeah, I just watched it again for this podcast, so, um, and I'm, you know. You watch Duel more than most people. (laughs) I guess, yeah. He's watched it four times. He's a four-time doula. Sarah, do you want to take us down the highway? So, Duel... (laughs) Opens with an amazing opening shot. I'm not going to be this granular the whole time, I promise. But like, the Candace, can you just talk about the opening? Because you you appreciate aesthetics. You appreciate cinematography. <laughs> so the opening shot is from the perspective of, I would say, the hood or the grill of a car. You're mm. going along with this car as it drives out of seemingly the suburbs into an urban area onto a highway moving on to different highways and it's getting more and more rural and you can pick up cues watching this because you see the highway signs that they're somewhere in southern california driving away from somewhere urban into the desert and along the way you're hearing different radio stations play in the car presumably you know you find out that that's just what this person is listening to as they're driving and so it's it's very quiet for the first I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes of the film and you're just hearing this. And I think the first line of dialogue is the character driving, responding to a really funny and telling uh, radio show slash mm-hmm. phone call that's happening between a DJ and um, someone on the radio. And his response is it's just like very telling. I don't want to give so, too much away. He's listening to a radio show where like the radio guy is essentially like doing a bit where he's talking to a woman and trying to figure out like why his wife's a frigid bitch. Like that's basically like the roundabout thing that's happening in this conversation, which is so, and she's just on the phone for a very long time listening. To, it's like a bit kind of, yeah. but like, there's no context for like what the actual show is and our protagonist loves this bit. It's just you know how in the 70s I guess like everybody listened to like Colin angry gender comedy radio prank call <laughs> shows. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and this movie is like overwhelmingly Freudian in a way that really works for it. Like we have You know, we got some snakes coming. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so Dennis Weaver is driving down the highway. And yeah, it is like this very I think this might have been one of the areas where there was footage added to expand this to theatrical length. Yeah, it's where they beefed it up. Nice. Yeah. But like I I like the effect that that adds because it's very slow to get started. I think that this movie works also on the level of like it's a horror movie, I would say, that feels like something that could actually happen to you. I think you're right, Sarah, is like I like how what that filling out does Mm -hmm. it's like just evident that he filled this with like scenery at the beginning in order to stretch out some time and i like the idea that if you like take a a tight 75 minute like psychological thriller Mm -hmm. and just add 
you know, 15 minutes of B-roll to it of just like soaring long shots and stuff. Like it turns it into an art movie. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. It's an art Western. And it was yeah. shot in a very stylish way to begin with too, which really helps. But like, yeah, it's like you can feel the like excitement about filmmaking in this, which like I feel like a lot mm. of, because what, what kind of TV movie was this? Was it like a Thursday night movie or a... Yeah, it was movie of the week. Mm. So like whatever time slot that yeah. is, totally. Yeah, e- evening thriller. Alex, can you, can, or Candace, anybody who wants to describe like the past TV movie situation? Because people don't know. Like, we have people are listening to this who are actual teens. And (laughs) hello, teens. Hello. (laughs) It's interesting because this is a way that like a lot of filmmakers got to start. Like, I know that this is a way that like Robert Altman got to start. Like, different channels would have a stake sort of you know like you say like Thursdays at like eight or something like that that like there would be a movie that was produced for television and not with the same budget and stakes that like a movie produced for HBO would be it was like a movie produced with the budget of um three sitcom episodes (laughs) and they had to like make like an actual movie that people would return you know every week for and it would happen either as like this like it was called like movie of the week and then it would be its own standalone title or some Sometimes it was like a a recurring TV show that never ended. Like there was one called Combat back in like the 50s or 60s that would Mm. kind of like come back every week and there'd be like a new opportunity for directors to do their own thing within that style. And I I don't know. I, I assume that this went out of style when the ability to play movies at your house via VHS and home rental ended um, because this was like very in vogue and very regular for a long time and then started to peter out in the 80s. So, okay, so Dennis Weaver. Let, let's let's say his character name, which is great, and it is Dave Mann. <laughs> just, if we want to start to get into the, the Freudian aspects of this. It's Dave Man. Man with two ends. This is Dave Man with two ends, struggling hard with his masculinity for eighty minutes or however long. And struggling against an, an antagonist, yeah. which is just truck. I love it. It's man this is this movie is man versus truck. Somebody had to be like, Well, Steve, it's man versus truck. And he was like, Well, that's I'll do it. <laughs> so Dave Man driving down the highway. Alex, can you describe his whole like aesthetic? You know, he reminds me of the predecessor to Michael Douglas and Falling Down. Yeah. He's exactly who I was two hours yesterday into trying to figure out why the Apple TV was projecting just a little bit bigger than the TV. And I couldn't figure out how to reconcile those two things. And it took two hours of like resetting it and trying to figure out what's going on and then turning it off and turning it back on and remembering the days when if you wanted to watch television, you just pushed a button Mm -hmm. and your TV turned on. I know. He's that guy struggling and seething with just being alive in this world and uh, is like a just a scraggly 40-year-old man, basically. <laughs> like he just looks like a regular 70s 40. Yes. Which means yeah. his face looks like as weathered and smooth as a catcher's mitt. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And he's... He's grumbly. He's uh, he's feeling like he's not valued at home, mm-hmm. and he's just uh, fueled by it's. You know, seething is not exactly correct because he's simmering. He's simmering. You can tell he feels as though the world has not given him what he believes he deserves. Absolutely, which mm-hmm. is a classic seventies mm-hmm. um, male crisis. Right. Yeah, he's going to have a real MAGA moment someday if he makes it into today. (laughs) Yeah, like he's done everything right, right? He's got the family. He has a job. He's like doing everything he's supposed to do. And the world is just not treating him right. And he's he's like a salesman. He's out on a trip. Yeah. And he's got he's got glasses, big, big glasses to illustrate sort of, you know, there's a fragi- there's stuff. There's something to be broken here. Mm-hmm. There's a fragility. Nah, he's got a mustache. tinted glasses. Yeah. yeah. He's got a really great ass. It must be pointed out. <laughs> I, he's like the um, Dustin Hoffman 
character in straw dogs like Mm, but like mm -hmm. the great thing about it is like in movies like straw dogs Mm -hmm. there's usually some climactic moment in which they raise to the occasion we don't really get that here and i think that's great yeah this guy is is in no way an alpha of any kind yeah like even right off the bat when you see him the the kind of profile shots of him driving the car his posture he's like Mm -hmm. sort of hunched over a little bit kind of like leaning over the wheel almost like He's a lot older than he is. And you can just tell just by the way that he carries himself that he is just like a low confidence person. Yeah. He's struggling and he's wearing it and he looks it. Well, and this, you know, what the opening sequence of this movie does so well is kind of show that as an urban clean shirt, Dave Mann businessman type, you're always just like a two hour drive away from like this frontier land where you'll be emasculated by the next truck you see Mm -hmm. which is like i mean not for those themes exactly but like now that i am living around you know living in two different parts of california at any given time really true you know really true that like (laughs) you you're very comfortable and within 15 minutes of your home and then you go out onto like route 99 and it really feels like you're in a fucking Western. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, it mm-hmm. like Cause you are. Like, and also cause like you, you're in the fucking desert for part of it. Yeah, right. And that exactly. like does something to people, I think. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's probably true for most urban areas in yeah. the U S you know, like that's definitely true in Pennsylvania. Well, this is why in in Jurg Romero's Dawn of the Dead, the real villain in the end is not the zombies, but like the yokels from Western Pennsylvania. Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> and then your politics become shaped by being afraid of what's fifteen minutes outside of your door, and you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Dave Mann's plot is about to begin. He's driving along, not happy as a clam, but you know, kind of like suffering as much as he always is. Um, this guy also resembles Steven Spielberg, I think, the same way that Richard Dreyfus does in Jaws, you know, mm. which means this movie is also vaguely about anti-Semitism, I think. And he's driving along and then he happens across this like, this diesel truck carrying something, a tanker marked flammable. It's the dirtiest thing you've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it actually looks like a zombie truck. It's yeah. like the truck has been zombified somehow. Yes, the truck is made out of like a million bits of other trucks. Yes. Or something. <laughs> All the symmetry you would sort of anticipate on a truck is sort of like a little bit askew. You know, mm-hmm. like the grill on the front is a little askew and like things are sort of like tilting and falling off of it. And that that makes it spookier just in and of itself. Yeah, and it's just like gross and it looks like it's covered in tar or something or like not tar but sort of like greasy smoke, you know? Mm. Yes. Um and it's got like this huge plume of like diesel smoke behind, going behind it and so Dave Mann is like talk about pollution and so he <laughs> passes the track. It's my favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> Very topical. <laughs> it's like, oh, brother, he's one of those. He's going home to his Tassahara bread book. Speaking of, speaking, I, I wonder if this was his contribution to the movie is like the number one thing that it says in his personal section on Wikipedia is that he was an environmentalist. Aw. <laughs> yeah, he just improvised that. It's the first line of dialogue, I think, in the whole movie. Yeah, it is. Saying that, yeah. He was a vegetarian from 1958 on. Wow. Wow. Dennis Weaver from Gunsmoke. That's quite early. That's so early. Yeah, he promoted alternative fuels such as hydrogen, wind power, etc. throughout uh, his career. Interesting. Fascinating. Well, and where would Spielberg be without him? Right? Because like, what if it was someone else who couldn't carry this movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really lucked out. Yeah. And I love how between this and Roy Scheider, he's like, I guess love like a weather beaten daddy who feels emasculated (laughs) by everybody. So Dennis Weaver passes the truck. The truck seems enraged and passes him again. And then our our duel begins. And it's a 90 minute movie, you guys. And 80 minutes of it is man versus truck. I don't think even that much happens before we get to Chuck's cafe, except that Dennis Weaver is like, I'm going to outrun you. I'm going to lose this guy. Wait, wait. He stops at the gas station before he stops at Chuck's cafe. Yeah, because that's where he calls his wife. Yes. Okay. And you get a little glimpse into his family life. 
which I think was also added for the theatrical cut. And oh, okay. that's also a really good addition, if that's true. So he stops at a gas station after the first couple of like passes with the truck. This is a really revealing scene about this guy's character, right? <laughs> he asks, you know, the attendant to fill up his car. And at this point, you see the truck also pulls into the gas station, but the driver does not get out. Also, have we said at all yet that you never see the driver of this truck? We haven't said that. Yeah, you don't. You see like his boot and his arm. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's a really important thing to note. So the truck pulls up, the guy stays in the truck, and uh, you can see Dave is a little like, you know, apprehensive about this, but he gets out of the car and he goes in to, I think he's like in a laundromat to call his wife. Mm -hmm. And they have this conversation and you actually see the scene of the wife talking to him so you see her she's home there's two little kids playing and it sounds as though they were at a party the night before and there was a guy that was sexually harassing her Mm. it's apparent that they had a fight about it because dave didn't do anything about it Mm -hmm. he just he saw it happening he didn't try and stop it and i think her line is He basically tried to rape me in front of the party or something like that. Which like leaves open like a wide range of interpretations, none of them good. Yes. You can tell they're still bitter about this. Mm -hmm. And he also says that he's not sure if he's going to make it home on time. And you can tell that this woman is just exasperated with her husband, her family life. They're both sort of tired of each other. Like you can tell they don't have a great relationship. Mm -hmm. All the while, this is shot through... (laughs) the windowed door of a washing machine that a woman who has come into the laundromat is like unloading her clothes. So you're you're just like watching him talk on a payphone through the window of a washing machine or dryer, which is like incredible Mm -hmm. in this laundromat. Cinema. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Capital C, cinema. It's cinema. And then think of the kids watching the movie of the week thinking, oh, cinema. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of when I was in film school totally. and it, yeah. it's it's so plainly laid out all of these like strategies that he's using. But you see how like his brain is working when mm-hmm. he's putting this all together, you know? Yeah, this is all like fr- he was like a huge and this this manifested it throughout his 70s movies. But he was like a huge French New Wave guy. And like all mm-hmm. of this stuff is like Truffaut film work stuff. Like we should watch this phone call through the glass of a washing machine door mm-hmm. <laughs> so fucking great it's like 23 yeah. year old twerp who's directing the movie of the week bringing in his french influence i love it <laughs> i love it yeah it's so great because i look what we were all that 23 year old twerp in our own ways right yeah it's so <laughs> cool yeah. i love it so much go big or go home especially when you're 23 and you're like And you have that kind of energy and you're like, why shouldn't I do everything to the hilt? And it's like, yeah, you should do everything to the hilt. You're 23. That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. They make very different movies, but the people who I think that there's like a huge sort of like mirrored similarity in in their approach to making movies is like Paul Thomas Anderson and Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg, because like I get the sense that like they want to like bring all of their reverence to the table like you know like Wes Anderson like makes Wes Anderson movies and that's great and that's fine and like Paul Thomas Anderson does that too but like it feels like I'm being a nerd and honoring all of the people I loved from my childhood all Mm. the time Mm -hmm. it's clearly a love letter to westerns the way that City Mm -hmm. Slickers is and so much Mm -hmm. stuff made by boomer men is because that's what they grew up seeing one billion of Mm -hmm. But this movie is like so stylish and yeah, like so French, like this and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we were just saying, feel French in an amazing way. (laughs) Yes, I love it. I've read like all the stories of these guys essentially like, you know, when they were kids, get somehow getting like movie making magazines and like understanding what people were doing and like other movements, you know, from there's no internet. Like you're reading like a you know 500 mm-hmm. word article about like what people are doing in France on on screen, and then trying to figure out in your head what that means and seeing the movies and being moved by that way. And then you are given the opportunity to make a movie of the week, and you put it all, yeah. <laughs> you put it all on screen. It's so cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, he's having this phone call with his wife. I feel like the framing of that washer door also makes you be like, haha, it's showing he feels imprisoned by women. Yeah. Candace, we were like, we had like some interesting conversation about this. And a lot of it fell along the lines of gender right after we saw it in Pittsburgh. And that sort of continues throughout the movie. So he has this call. He's like, well, oh, look, the truck's gone. I guess I'm in the clear. But no, he's not in the clear. And then so the truck reappears. Is that right? Yeah. And there's also a little bit of foreshadowing before Mm. he leaves the gas station because the attendant is looking under his hood and he says, you need a new radiator hose. And then... He's a real jerk to the attendant. He's sort of like, yeah, I, I heard that one before. Mm-hmm. You know, like he thinks he's trying to rip him off. And he's like, no. Nah. He's got the city guy's fear of being conned. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so he's off and the truck is off. And then um, the duel begins yet again. Yeah. And he's trying to he's like, all right, I'm just going to lose this truck. But the truck is able to go very fast. They kind of have him later on be like how can he go so fast to show that the movie knows that trucks don't go that fast normally (laughs) but this one does and so he tries to outrun the truck and he like loses control of the car and then he's trying to like break and pull off into a parking lot at chuck's cafe some pretty amazing driving for like a car that he can't brake sufficiently and sort of like pivots around these cars in the parking lot and then slams into the fence um and then a very old man comes out and is like are you all right mister and he's like yeah except uh my neck the way he delivers that line to me is so childlike like the way he's like oh my neck (laughs) you know like like just clearly like a person who does not know how to take care of himself and like (laughs) There's something so babyish about that line. Like, am I crazy in saying that? Like, totally. No, we we've talked we talked like recently in our mm. in our high fidelity episode about like the import of being able to like control your emotional response to things to like yeah. whatever to whatever level that's that's possible. And before we even get that this guy is being haunted by a truck, we get a sense that this guy has no relationship with being able to control his emotional response. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. and this is the worst situation for someone who can't control their emotions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it repeats over and over. Yeah. Yes. And then I think once he gets into the cafe, oh, I'm sorry, cafe, <laughs> he goes into the bathroom and he's trying to calm himself down and that's when the kind of internal narration begins mm-hmm. and he's trying to like talk to himself and rationalize what's going on because he thinks the truck has moved on. So he, he thinks that this is over Mm -hmm. and this is like the worst it's going to get is that he just spun out of control and hit a fence and damaged his car. And that's where this internal, like him trying to figure all this out and rationalize it. But like, yeah, his, his voice is like, he sounds like a a gerbil at the corner of a cage when you hear him in voiceover, (laughs) like shaking in fear. Yeah, he's, he's a person who's who's falling apart at the seams a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so he comes out of the bathroom, he sits down at a table, and he looks outside and notices the truck's parked outside the cafe. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of panics again, and he's looking around. There's like four or five different dudes sitting at the bar drinking brewskis. <laughs> and he's looking at all of them trying to figure out which one might be his trucker. And he's, like, talking through this in the narration, and he's, like, oh, looking at their boots, but then he realized they're all wearing the fucking same boots. Of course they are, you dumbass. Like, <laughs> you're in the middle of the desert. They're all wearing cowboy boots, you know? And then a waitress comes over and takes his order. And I, I should also mention I really love the sound design in this movie. Like, yes. there's this shot of him sort of, like, really deep in his head, and then the waitress comes over and just, like, drops the silverware on the table, which is such a normal thing to do, but the sound is so crisp and loud Mm -hmm. in that moment, and it scares the crap out of him, just the sound of, like, the silverware being dropped onto the table. Then he orders a cheese sandwich on rye, R-Y-E. He spells it out. So rude. (laughs) Why does he spell it out? So rude. Yeah, like someone out in the country isn't going to understand rye bread. She's a professional (laughs) waitress, you know? (laughs) And what would she have misinterpreted that as? Yeah. (laughs) 
rye. It's just rye. <laughs> but even that, even that detail of him ordering a cheese sandwich and not like a burger is such a, I don't know, such a great like detail about his person. It's not even just that he orders that. It's he orders that in a panic. Yeah. <laughs> she comes over and, and he's like, yeah, I'm right. Like, I'm obviously ready. Like, everything's <laughs> yeah. fine. And then and then he just ooms and ahs it for 30 seconds until he settles upon a cheese sandwich. <laughs> this guy cannot handle his shit. Poor Dave. He doesn't even want that sandwich, huh? <laughs> He's just trying to appear normal to like the person who's interacting with him. I don't think anyone in that diner has ever ordered a cheese sandwich before. No, it's a trekker joint, right? What trekker is going to order a cheese sandwich? No one's getting a fucking side salad. That's what you're getting at Chuck's Cafe. A cheese sandwich. Oh my God. So Dave, Dave sucks at ordering sandwiches. <laughs> And to be to be clear, I like Dave, you know? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, by the way, all of this is relatable. And I like cheese sandwiches, but he ruins it. Yeah. Cheese sandwich. I love the genre of like, you are just doing your thing and now you're being chased the rest of the time. Like that's mm, yep. a good, perfect <laughs> metaphor for literally being alive. Yeah. Maybe it's an action movie when, like, a guy who's good at being chased gets chased. And maybe it's a horror movie when a guy who's bad at being chased gets chased. That's exactly right. That's, that's the genre divide. Well, and usually there's growth that leads to you becoming good at being chased. But we don't even, we don't do that. No. No, there is zero growth here. I don't know. I think he, he has a clever moment at the end. We'll get to it. <laughs> he has like a idea. Yeah, That's he has it. a idea. <laughs> anyway, this is where our inside joke came in. Yeah, you should, yeah, please tell it, Candace. So she takes his order and she's like, okay, takes the menu, walks away. And he says real quickly, like, I want some ketchup, you know, and she doesn't hear him. And then when she comes and drops the sandwich <laughs> down, he's just sort of looking at it. <laughs> And at that moment, the first time I watched this movie with Sarah, I just quietly said, do you have any organic ketchup? <laughs> like in the quiet moment. And and it killed. <laughs> this is what ended up being our 10 year joke. Let me tell you, it's very funny in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a very specific Portland joke because everyone, you know, I worked in the service industry for many years in Portland and it's like everyone always wanted like obviously the organic version of something. Oh like God. not just do you have any ketchup, do you have any organic ketchup? And it just, you know. You've waited on a lot of Dave Manns, I imagine. You had someone, I love the story. I mean, you have a lot of stories from when you worked at the gluten-free bakery, but one was the person who called in and said, can... I have a cake that's a tiered cake that's half gluten and half not gluten. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you have a you have a lot of stories from when you worked at the gluten-free bakery is such a funny line. <laughs> <laughs> but right, I feel like Portland it probably has like customers who are high maintenance in a particular way. I imagine like the Portland passive aggressiveness comes into that. Yeah, no, I remember. So prior to working at the gluten-free bakery, I worked at the Whole Foods bakery in like the main Whole Foods, which was just like, uh, you know, Grand Central Station of Portland at the time. Yeah, like, it's really true. And um, this one woman called up or trying to order a birthday cake for her, I think like a four-year-old. And I was like taking her order and I was like, okay, you know, what flavor do you want? I listed out the different flavors, whatever. And she was like, so exasperated. And she was like, <laughs> so my child says he wants a cake that is half blueberries and half macaroni and cheese. Can you do anything like that? And I like thought she was joking. Like I thought she was like, that's really a DIY kind of a cake. I think she was not joking friends. Do you have anything like that? <laughs> Do you have anything like that? And I was just like, that's a hard no. I do not. It's like, yeah, we have a cake. We have one that's like half Boston cream and half pizza. So which. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's something. Is that cut it? Is that okay? <laughs> that's what they have at the East Coast Whole Foods. She was like, what's the closest thing to that? <laughs> people have, Candace, people have no idea what customer facing people deal with no they have no idea all right back to chuck's cafe back Sarah, to chuck's cafe. take it on 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Dave Mann has a cheese sandwich. <laughs> With no ketchup. Yes. And that's just his whole demeanor. And so, yeah, Dave Mann has his cheese sando. And then he leaves checks. And then he happens upon a school bus that needs help, which just feels weird. There's so many things that are happening in this scene that are great. One, the school bus needs help. He pulls over. He's gotten himself in a trap because the bus driver's like, can't you help us, mister? And he's like, no. Basically, he's like, no. Why didn't you ask the truck that went by earlier? And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's a crazy question to ask. Two, he's concerned about the safety of all of these children rightfully because he's starting to lose his mind because he's getting chased down by the Mm -hmm. truck and he's telling the bus driver that this is something to be careful about and the bus driver's contrarian nature to this is understandable because he has no context for why this guy's upset about the truck but the guy's also like you guys are fine just stay out of the road play around here all you want children like what that's a real 70s moment it it was such a 70s like Oh, they're fine. They're fine. Like He's like, you can't tell these children to be safe. They're <laughs> under my watch. We're in the California <laughs> desert, and these kids are going to play on a highway shoulder as close to the road as they feel like it, mister. <laughs> Dave is meeting like other archetypes of masculinity in the desert. The bus driver's expectation is wild, which is, can you push me with your little sports car? He's going <laughs> to fucking bust. <laughs> And Dave's like, I'm going to go under the bus. And he's like, come on, mister, can't you help me out? And Dave fucking tries to help. And it's undoing because no good deed goes unpunished. Yes. And while he's helping, so they're right at the, the opening of a tunnel. Through this tunnel, you see the truck yeah. on the other side has like yes. turned around and now... Is poised to come back toward them. It's a tunnel shot, guys. It's a it's a dick in in whatever. So now Dave is truly freaking the fuck out because his car yep. is stuck under the bus and the truck is coming toward them. And he's like, We gotta get my car out. And so previously when he was like being very paranoid about the children touching or sitting upon his car, now he is <laughs> jumping on the roof of the car while the bus driver's trying to pull it out from under the bus because he's he knows um danger is imminent here. And like the driver's revving the car, the car is in the tunnel. Freud, Freud, Freud. I also forgot to say <laughs> before we leave Chuck's Cafe, Dave decides to pick a fight with a random cowboy. Oh, I can't believe we didn't bring this up. <laughs> right, because he thinks he's he thinks he's figured out who the truck driver is. The, that dude's reaction to everything is amazing. He's like, "What are you talking about?" He's just like <laughs> eating a burger, and Dave's like, huh, "All right, man, <laughs> time to cut it out." <laughs> His response is so real. You you think you can just do this and get away with it, and I'm not going to call the cops? He's like, "Call the cops." What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Then they just get into a brawl. Dave does such a terrible job of like explaining his position. You know, he's like, hey, hey, mister. (laughs) Trying to be cool and like threatening at the same time and failing. And like that is that actor just does such an amazing job at that. Yeah. And we should also mention that there's like a single hussy in the bar. Yeah. Just like, uh, <laughs> there's a bar hussy. Playing pool and like watching, watching the action. The women who exist in the cinematic universe are very interesting. There's wife, laundry woman, Chuck's Cafe hussy, waitress, snake lady. Haven't gotten a snake lady yet. Yeah. Haven't gotten a snake lady and old lady in car who won't help. And I think that might be it. Yeah. Snake Lady is obviously my favorite. Yeah. So he gets thrown out of the cafe. It's what they call it. So we have to call it that. And goes on his way, has the bus misadventure, is just able to escape and drive away. And then he sees in kind of like the biggest dick move of all, the truck helping the bus. I love that. Because it doesn't just want to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. It just wants to kill Dave. To me, that's uh, the f- most fun turn we have mm-hmm. in the movie is like, this isn't just like a blindly evil truck. This is just a truck that wants Dave gone. <laughs> yeah. Until we get to snake Arama. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Then we have the train where he's driving away. From, and this is like the school bus was also added footage. So in the TV cut, he goes straight from Chuck's Cafe to the train tracks. 
where he's waiting for a train to pass and the truck is trying to push him onto the tracks while the train is there so he can be annihilated. And then he and the truck have a little chase and he drives up off the road and loses the truck momentarily. And then he goes to Snakerama where he finds a payphone and Snakerama is um, a roadside attraction. It's a gas station run by this like old lady in a kerchief who's like, going to service his car but she's like take a look at my snakes if you have time because she's got a payphone in the middle of the desert surrounded by cages of snakes and also unsettlingly a coyote that's like chained up in the dead heat and dave refers to this as a weird place for a phone <laughs> which is a good point <laughs> dave commentary is my favorite weird place for a phone. dave just wants the world to be a reasonable civil place <laughs> and not have phones surrounded by snakes <laughs> that's all he wants i do like that like when okay so like the truck finds dave at snakearama it's going after him and it's taking down pieces of snakearama with it and i do like that we get the owner of snakearama's response which is why is he doing this <laughs> several times she's like why is he doing this to my snakes yes and then she says my snakes yes, my, my snakes. snakes here's where in the movie i started to think about gender a lot because dave is so emasculated and this truck is not threatening to anyone else until there's this business owned by a woman and then the truck just like destroys the business. And that's when I started to be like, oh, Dave is just a symbol for a woman. And this is how women feel every day in fear mm. of like dangerous men. Mm -hmm. The truck just like annihilates the whole space and otherwise like doesn't harm anyone else besides Dave in the movie. Mm. You know, and then it's just like, goodbye, snake lady. Good luck. Figure it out. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> it's, and again, to like talk about the Freudian element, it's like Dave also must find his snakes in the final <laughs> act, metaphorically. He does. How does he do it, Sarah? <laughs> yes. Well, and just also to add to what Candace was saying, I remember talking about this with you after seeing it at the beautiful Row House Theater and how like men have every reason to be more empathetic to the reality that women are terrorized by men because men are also terrorized by men. No one is more scared of men than men. Men are terrified mm -hmm. of each other because men kill each other the most. Most murder victims are men killed by other men, I'm pretty sure, at least in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is kind of like the movie of the week version of Straw Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And I think it's better than Straw Dogs because as a result of being a movie of the week, it can't be mostly about rape. Just a tiny little bit, inevitably, yeah. because when men win their sense of self back, it's always about um, the sexual assault of a woman they love. I don't know. It just feels like Spielberg making this was like, well, that makes sense. I'll throw that in. That's kind of the standard ingredient. That's the MSG. <laughs> so, yeah, Snakerama <laughs> is destroyed. This is also, I think, I remember reading a very dangerous stunt to do because you can't really fake a truck driving at a phone booth with a person in it. And that's what happened. <laughs> so the truck like barrels through the phone booth and destroys Snakearama and it's like driving around, crashing through snake cages, which is just like a wonderful, almost like something Yodorowsky would do, honestly. And mm. I'm also thinking of that because we are being baked in a desert, which does make you think of the guy. Um, and then we're on to our final act where Dave Mann tries to get this old couple to help him they won't and he has this epic car chase with the truck because they're going up a hill finally and he says the fabulous line you'll never beat me on the grade <laughs> dave's hubris is impressive i know especially because we kind of know this is a magic truck at this point <laughs> but he'll never beat him on the grade but then candace the very thing that was foreshadowed happens Ah, uh, yes, his radiator hose breaks and his car starts to heat up and slow down. So he barely makes it up and over the grade. And by the time he gets over, the truck has caught up mm -hmm. to him and then they're going down quite fast. And then at some point, he pulls off the road. So then he's just sort of like in the desert and he comes to a cliff. Mm -hmm. And this is his moment. This is his Thelma and Louise moment. And his plan 
is to run the car off the cliff by putting his briefcase in between the gas pedal and the seat. So the truck is chasing him. He's still in the car. He wedges the the briefcase down. He jumps out of the car and does like a nice little action roll. And then the truck follows the car off the cliff Hmm. and goes down. And that's where you have the beautiful like slow motion truck falling into these rocks and collapsing and and like I cannot watch that and not think of the shark in Jaws falling down into yeah, the water with its oh like God. insides like spreading. It is like literally the same shot. Yeah. Nice. And it's it's really beautifully done. You know, there's there's some perspective shots from the bottom of the um, you know, ravine and where you see you see some of like the wrecked car and truck. And at some point you see some blood dripping and there's like a very haunting shot of the truck fan mm. just like still mm-hmm. on like the little handheld fan. The fan he used to cool himself <laughs> while trying to kill Dave that whole time. Yes. And then you see Dave just like jumping up and down again like a small child <laughs> with like joy at the top of the cliff. He's like, yeah, I did it. I did it. <laughs> The last shot is just him sort of sitting on the edge of the cliff with his feet dangling over, just like throwing rocks over the side, you know, Yeah, contemplating his um, his win. And I feel like every great filmmaker has to maybe be, a, or at least every great summer movie filmmaker has to be a little bit boneheaded about what they're doing because... Steven Spielberg has said, like, people ask me all the time, like, oh, what are the themes in Duel? I have these theories about it, but it's just a Western. And it's like, yeah, the the reason it's so full of themes is because it's a Western. That's where all the the (laughs) wall to wall themes. But like, Mm -hmm. I think you have to make this movie in a spirit of like, I don't know, this scene works and not really think about it that hard. And I think that's why it feels like a dream in a great way. Mm. just thinking about like no country for old men is a western obviously but this is just no country for old men like this is jaws Mm. this is no country for middle-aged men (laughs) this is no country for (laughs) middle-aged fellas just like you're doing your thing and then suddenly something is pursuing you and it's annoying but you have to show up a little bit Mm. (laughs) and especially if you get the backstory that like dave is not the kind of guy who can intervene when his wife is virtually raped at a party you know dave clearly is is struggling with uh showing up in any real way so i i like this as a theme generally where it's like that it doesn't have to be deeper than that like there's nothing mm-hmm. more human than like i don't want to show up today but i'm being required to mm-hmm. and so i have to like either figure out what i'm going to bring in order to make showing up possible or die that's what every day feels like period. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess. And I think like the amount of acting going on, it's really a showcase for watching somebody kind of be a person. And it's great to get to observe that. And especially like the acting and like the grade scene is like, it's an incredible amount of desperation to watch a person achieve like in a role. It's like, it shows you kind of what being a human is about by like seeing that range of emotions and seeing a nightmare that's like so within reach kind of anybody could get in a dual situation and that's such an accessible nightmare in an amazing way this jaws in close encounters of third kind it's all like just different levels of the same problem which is like i was going about my business this thing presented itself and i had to show up some more and like in in close encounters of the third kind it's like it ends up being more about obsession than anything else Mm -hmm. but it's like Again, it's all just like I was going about my business and then I had to fucking fight a shark Mm. or understand this thing about aliens or not get killed by a truck. The whole time I have watched this movie, I've been like, why didn't you just turn around and go home? Mm. (laughs) And like it is that that horror movie thing where you're like, don't go in the basement, you know, and when I'm watching this, I'm like, don't keep going, turn around and go home. But like there is this kind of crisis he's having where it's like he has to win this this duel like he can't just not Mm. engage like he has to continue the duel for someone who is so frightened 
there is a much easier solution to this issue and it is just turn around and go home. <laughs> and like that, that isn't, he never, that's like never an option at any point. And there's some stakes set up where like, you know, he's going to lose this account. But after the point where like, dude, you ain't making that meeting. Like mm-hmm. he can't, he has to engage. Right. And like watching it with you in the theater. So the second time I saw it, it occurred to me when they're at the gas station initially, like, it seems reasonable to attempt to walk up to the guy in the truck when they're both there at the pumps and be like, hey, sorry about that. That got out of hand. My apology. Like, maybe not a great idea, but possibly Mm -hmm. that would work. You never know. And just like thinking about it from this perspective of like, because I know the trucker, clearly the way things escalate is like supposed to be pure evil. But like at the outset, you're like, well, you know, how does the trucker feel about clean shirt, nice car guy, <laughs> right? And this idea of like the 70s in some sense being about, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is so much about this too, actually. These right. movies pair really well. Mm-hmm. Urban, domesticated Americans feeling scared of their rural counterparts because they feel like once they don't have their like cushy city life around them, they can't defend themselves against the people who mm-hmm. were economically destroyed by a situation that favored the city dwellers in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing about this movie, I think, is that I really enjoy it. Like, I think it's also fun. Do you agree? Is it fun? Yeah, I think so. And I like <laughs> it's fun and it's tense in a way that I find kind of safe. Thinking about like what we were talking about earlier, how you know, I watched this and I'm like, yep, this is how women feel a lot of the time, like pursued by dangerous men. But it feels less scary because mm-hmm. it's not about a woman. Mm. And also, like, he's such an unlikable character that like, or at least I don't feel the degree of empathy that's like scary mm. watching him go through this. I'm sort of like, like, I want to see him survive, but I'm also like, okay, if he doesn't, because <laughs> he's kind of being like... A dick a mm-hmm. bit. I like the idea that it's illustrating this like this gendered menace. You know, th- just this idea that like he wants to go talk to this person and be like, hey, could you stop this? And like mm-hmm. you realize like that's absurd because like if someone's like decided to do this, like whatever is happening with the truck driver, like a conversation isn't going to mm-hmm. stop it. Yeah. You would like to think it's going to stop it. It's like the right tack, obviously. But like this isn't going to stop no matter what. So like you're going to look crazy no matter what you try to do in the face of Mm -hmm. it. You know, there's, there's a lot happening there with regard to like, you know, how women or anyone who's not sort of like a cis, cis straight man is, you know, exists in the Mm -hmm. world, which is like at any given time, the world could decide that you are something it's pursuing Mm -hmm. and like no amount of reasonable conversation can stop that. Mm. Yeah. Here's my main problem with Dave, man is that he punches down. That's a good point. And that's why I think he deserves everything. He punches down to his wife. You know that he thinks he's better than the Cowboys or smarter than the Cowboys. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know what? You got what coming to you. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's rural Connecticut talking. (laughs) This is the truth. Do you guys... I have one question. I have one question. Do we feel like... There's something supernatural happening with this truck or the driver. Hmm. Like, it's just like, I feel like it's open for possibility, but. Well, that's like a whole truck motif. Yeah. Like, there's a whole, like, phantom driver thing in truck lore. Large Marge. Yeah, I mean, Hmm. exactly. Like, Large Marge is a takeoff on, like, the phantom trucker. I mean, like, I don't necessarily think that it's canon that it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not because it's not said in the text or whatever. But, like, I think we are kind of led to believe because there's a facelessness and I think it was like very smart for us to never meet the truck driver that leaves it in that it's like either a sadistic a regular sadistic man like like slumber party massacre just your your killer's a regular guy Mm -hmm. or is a phantom yeah because the truck I mean we talked about it already like the condition of the truck but it does have this sort of like this truck is from hell look (laughs) yeah you know like demon truck it actually got dragged out of hell by another truck. (laughs) (laughs) It got towed out of hell. (laughs) Tow me to hell. I I do feel like it's interesting to put this movie like in the slasher continuum, right? And I feel like there's something 
classically, there's something intrinsically there about the slasher, like anything truly in formula, starting, I think, with Psycho. That's about masculinity that has been wounded and needs to seek disproportionate revenge. But there's also the implication in a lot of them, like Friday the 13th, or we just talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies with Leatherface, that like really the villain is just like a scared little boy. Mm-hmm. And Alex, as you love to point out, the way to manipulate Jason is to pretend that you're him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just pretend you're Jason to Jason and that confuses him. <laughs> but like, I don't know, seeing slasher movies as intrinsically about kind of using violence as a metaphor for sexual domination and sexual assault. And like, that feels like it's in this movie and just the sort of fear Dennis Weaver feels. I feel like that's true. I feel like it is the more I think about it, like using him as a stand in for, for women and weirdly this movie that could be kind of a men's rights thing also feels like it's just as much about the fear of living the way women live and the fear of men. I don't know. I think there's like a lot of Mm -hmm. like any good horror movie. It has way more themes than it's set out to have in it. I think. Yes, I agree. We know Dave Mann is a father who in duel. (laughs) Good good luck. Get creative. (laughs) Who in duel is the daddy? Snake lady is the daddy. She's got a business (laughs) set up. She's got her snakes. You know, she's living I, I admire her, Snake Lady. She is living. I'm going to go with um, the waitress at Chuck's Cafe. Yeah. Because that waitress has to put up with a lot of bullshit. <laughs> you know it. And people probably don't tip well. Oh, no. She's got to be a tough cookie, for sure. And what kind of a tip is she getting on that cheese sandwich with water, you know? <laughs> Nothing. He's not a tipper. He left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick the guy, again, we're not working with a whole lot here, but I'm going to pick the truck driver that Dave tries to confront finally. (laughs) And his response, before he finally like relents physically, his response to everything Dave is trying to say is comic gold. Like his, It's the funniest moment in the movie. Yeah, it's just not understanding what this man is saying to him. It's such a funny bit. Yeah. yeah. And his mouth is full. Like he's eating and his mouth is full the whole time. He's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. There's also a, a tracking shot when uh, Dave goes into the bathroom at Chuck's and comes back out. And it's very ambitious. It looks great. It's uh, obviously Steven Spielberg is also a daddy here because he like mm-hmm. worked his ass off on this assignment that you could very easily just be like oh whatever it's just the movie of the week and I feel like he woke up every morning like like at 4 30 like it's the movie of the week you know (laughs) and I love it I love feeling that kind of energy in a project I also feel like Dennis Weaver as we've been saying this whole time like everyone's good in this too like all the like weird weather beaten 70 year old supporting actors in this of which there are Mm -hmm. 25 are amazing it's beautiful. It's like a great example of what you can do with like seemingly not a lot of material. I'm very proud of all the people who made this movie. Mm-hmm. It's such a great lesson. And you think it's an insignificant assignment? Show your ass up because it might be mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be the movie that kicks off your career. <laughs> yeah, that's the moral of all of this. Yeah. Right? right. Like this movie is both about Dave Mann being unable to show up and Steven Spielberg being like very ready to show up. And be like, yes. please give me your, your mechanical shark mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I think uh, it's beautiful. So yeah, just like whatever little thing you have coming up, just like remember, it's the movie of the week. Give it your all. <laughs> Candace, where can we find your work and such? You know, I've got a website. Like most of the folks out there in the world, it's just CandaceJaneOpper.com. I'm the only Candace Jane opera there is. Wow. Find her. Yeah, find me. Bye. (laughs) 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 That's it for this week's episode of You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. 
Thank you so much to Candace Jane Oppert for joining us for this episode. Thanks to Carolyn Kendrick for producing and editing. Thanks to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. We are grateful to y'all. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our episode sound so sweet. Oh, hey, here's a quick little note. Uh, I went to <laughs> a Comic-Con, Culture-Con. I'm not exactly sure. It was like a little bit of both in Stockton, California. And for whatever reason, that's hard to uh, nail down. It's hard to pinpoint. I have gotten into the history of professional wrestling in a way that I could not have seen coming. It's a great metaphor for how America is. (laughs) And as a person who came into this late, I saw Sergeant Slaughter, who was at this con. And I didn't go up or sort of talk with him or do any of that stuff. I kind of, I've met many great people who I love and have learned sometimes it's best to just keep them at a distance. But anyway, there was Sergeant Slaughter from uh, old school WWF, from G.I. Joe, just looking great. He's like 70 years old. He looks fantastic. That was just like a lovely part of my week. I wanted to make sure you knew that I was 10 feet away from Sergeant Slaughter, mesmerized by those uh, mirrored aviators. Sergeant fucking Slaughter. Anyway, what's something that uh, came up this week that made you happy? We'd love to hear about it. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on uh, Blue Sky, evidently. On Blue Sky, you can find those links in our show notes. All right, that's enough from me. We will uh, we'll see you all next week when we talk about Top Gun Maverick with River Butcher. Don't forget that you, my friend, are good. All right, talk with you all next week.